0: of the people is the beauty of the God in the people. That's the church. It's God in the people. And so Brother Biscoe is ministering there this morning, as you already heard, and uh, um, was speaking to him this week. And he's got some things on his heart, which some of the things he shared with us last week. How many were blessed last Sunday? I was really touched, really affected last Sunday. And Brother Biscoe and I had some conversation on that. And i say it's good to have him back in the pulpit. And may God strengthen him. That's my prayer. Amen. How many are looking forward to meeting with the Lord this morning? You know, we we call it a meeting. But it's not meeting with each other. It's meeting with the Lord. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together and invite the Lord to come and fellowship with us. Wonderful Heavenly Father. Lord, we have sung that song from our hearts. Our hope. You are our only hope. In this dying generation, in this age, Lord, where, Father, we need to escape out of here. We cannot live on in this age. It's headed for destruction. I could say crazy men have their fingers on the trigger. Lord, they're insane in this age, just as your prophet said it would be. But, Lord, you've given us a great hope, a great assurance, a great rest in Jesus Christ. A revelation, Lord, that you will not and have not forsaken your bride. But, Lord, you have sent a message to quicken our faith and give us that which is needed, a rapturing grace that will take us out of this realm and to walk on the streets of gold and to rejoice, Lord, in another land where there is a perfect place. Lord, and you've sent the perfect word from that realm into this realm to take us back to that realm. And Lord, we thank you that we could gather together this morning around the word that you have revealed. Oh Lord, our hearts are rejoicing, our souls are stirred no matter what the burden is in our lives. If there be something within us, oh God, that says that I have a need, Lord, that speaks that there is something to respond to that need. Oh Lord, we're a needy people this morning. You know every need, you know every situation, you know every burden. You alone are the Word that discerns the thoughts and intents of every heart. And we're asking, Lord, that you'll come once more amongst us and take complete control. Lord, take control of the speaker and of the hearer. No matter what is spoken, whatever language it must be, even if we understand the language in our minds, it takes the Holy Spirit to interpret it to our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll unctionize the Word. Grant revelation, Lord. We need revelation. And quicken us, Father, by your eternal anointed word. We'll give you the glory. Lord, lift us up into heavenly places. Lift us up, Lord, into the exceeding abundantly. And Lord, by your word, may every demon power be defeated. In the name of Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves to you for your glory in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Thank you musicians. Take our Bibles and turn together to Hebrews chapter 10. We want to start there and uh, I'm glad for the projector and the and the new projector and the new screen because I've had a couple of subjects where I, where I would have liked to have uh, shown some things or gone through the scriptures on the screen to to make it easier for you to follow along, but every time they had to uh, do the screen in the past, they had to turn the lights down, and then I was scared you might fall asleep on me. <laughs> and so, but now we don't have to turn the lights down, and they can project on the screen and and that. So I, I'm going to do that a little bit this morning, and trust that that will be a blessing. Have a little bit of a different, um, a, maybe approach to it this morning. Been stu- studying in the book of uh, Hebrews and uh and and then i I think more lately I've really appreciated what Brother Branham spoke on hebrews and and really maybe understood what he saw in Hebrews because I always wondered you know why Brother Branham just took the book of Hebrews and not any other book you know and uh but then i I kind of maybe gained a little bit of insight to that this week that we'll maybe speak on and Uh, Well, more than this week, but over the past little while. And trust that it will be a blessing to you. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto Perfect, For then would they have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sin. So I want you to notice in verse 1, it says that those sacrifices could never make the comers thereunto perfect. And I want to speak this morning on the story of perfect. Lord, at His blessing to the Word, you may be seated. Perfect or perfection, as we might say, is a great subject, especially because we live in a realm that isn't perfect, and we're surrounded by a lot of imperfections, and no matter what we deal with in life, there are many flaws that we deal with, and we all know our own flaws. Let me say it again. We all know our own flaws. We all understand ourselves. We look in the mirror and we say, that man or that woman is not exactly what I want to be. But we could be like this sister that says, I'm not what I want to be. Uh, I'm not what I ought to be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And so we've come from somewhere. We're going to somewhere. And I'm reminded of, uh, as I was thinking of the subject of perfection and And the many different aspects of it, and certainly is more than we can cover in one service, but we'll just try and, uh, it really needs a series, but we'll try and cram into one service as much as we can without making it overbearing. But it doesn't matter, if you're a tradesperson, it doesn't matter what trade you are in. You see the flaws in your own work. Somebody else that maybe isn't in that trade, they look at it and they, they, they say, oh, well, that's, that's just perfect. But you know it's not perfect you know what's behind it. I, I have a son that is a carpenter, a very good carpenter. He's also a cabinet maker and has spent some time doing that. And I remember years ago when we had a church, had church meetings in the upper room, what we called the upper room was the second floor of a building. And uh, uh, there we had meetings. Brother John preached there, I'm sure. And it and, uh, uh, was a wonderful little place, atmosphere. And, and we had some speakers that were, were kind of tall and thin and and, uh, but I needed them raised up because they were kind of sitting on the ground. And so I asked my son if he'd make, make me just some stands out of wood uh, about three feet high so that I could just set the speakers on top of them. Uh, and then the sound would maybe go better through the room that we were worshiping in. And so I... He was making them in the, he was living with us at that time, still single, and, uh, he was making them in the basement of the house. And, and so I went down to observe his work, and, and I I looked at what he was doing, and he had the frame, I think it was two by fours or two by twos or something, on, on one spot. And then he had the, the plywood that he was making the outer shell with, put together in another spot. And I said to him, I says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, he says, this is a frame and now I'm making the shell and I'm going to put the shell right over the frame. I said, well, if it was me, I'm trying to tell a carpenter how to do something. I said, if it was me, I I would, I would take the pieces and one by one, I would put them on. He said, dad, that's not how you do it. I said, "I, I said, well, how do you know it's going to fit? He said, don't worry, Dad, it'll fit. And, and so he, I, I stood there and watched him for a little bit, Brother Ernie, and he's, and he's putting this together, and, and he just takes the outer shell, and it just slides perfectly over the frame that he made. And I thought, my, he knows what he's doing. If it was me, it would have never fit. But to me, it was perfect. But to him, it was like, oh, Dad, it's just a slap together job. It's just something, you know, that a carpenter, I see Brother Jeff back there, a carpenter might look at and say, oh yeah, that's no problem. But to me, it's a problem. It's a problem because perfection is something that is in the eye of the beholder. And I was thinking of the church that we built in Grand Prairie and how that we did a lot of it with our own hands and we wouldn't want you to look very closely at it. But when it comes time to finishing the sanctuary, like we're in here, and all the drywall finishing, I phoned a friend of mine, Brother Henry. And I said, Brother Henry, you've got to come and finish the sanctuary for us. Because as far as I was concerned, his work was perfect. But if I did the sanctuary, because I was doing some of the drywall finishing in some of the building myself, if I did the sanctuary, everybody sitting in the service would be looking at the walls going, I wonder who did that? <laughs> because it's, you know, you, you learn a certain skill. But to Brother Henry, I, I said he says, Well, you know, it, it's not maybe the best job. You know, I wish I could have done better. I was kind of in a hurry. You know, there were things that maybe I should have taken more time on. I said, It looks perfect to me. It looks completely perfect. But to him, he had a critical eye because he knew what he was doing. And he wished he could do better. And that's the way we all look at our own lives. You know, we see what we've done. Somebody from the outside might look at it and say, Oh, you know, there's such a perfect brother or there's such a perfect sister. I remember when I, when I married Sister Sarah. And uh, uh, a certain sister came up to me. And now, uh, I, told, I told my wife yesterday, I said, You better not pick on me today because I'm preaching tomorrow. <laughs> and and uh, a certain sister came up to me and she says, Brother Tim, how do you rate... I said, excuse me? She says, how do you write? I says, well, what do you mean? She says, well, God gave you a perfect wife for your first wife. I said, that's true. He says, and, she, and he gave you a perfect woman for your second wife. I said, well, praise the Lord. I guess he knows I need it. <laughs> Amen. Nobody else could tolerate me probably. <laughs> but you know, we all know our flaws. You know, I'm sure Sister Sarah would be the first one to say, I'm not perfect. I have my own shortcomings. I have my own weaknesses. We look at our own selves and we say, I I got so many areas that I could improve on. Though somebody else might look at you and say, I wish I was more like that one. I wish I was more like that sister, or I wish I was more like that brother. But the emphasis is that we're all born in sin, we're all shaped in iniquity. Even Brother Branham said, I make mistakes every day. You know, there's so many things, but yet we look at Brother Branham's life and we say, oh, if we could just attain to that level of perfection. But that isn't really perfection, because there's only one person that knows no flaws, and that's God. He has no flaws. He was perfect to begin with. He's perfect in all his actions. He's perfect at the beginning. He's perfect in the middle. He's perfect at the end. Can I have some amens? That's the God that we serve, and that's why He's God. He's the Almighty One. He's the All-Sufficient One. He's the All-Knowing One. He's the All-Powerful One. He's the name above every name. He's all in all. He's more than anything else to us. And He's sovereign, and He does things the way He wants to do them. There's no way that we could tell God how to do anything. No man has been his counselor. There's nobody that has added to the thoughts of God. There's nobody that has done anything better than what God has done. Can we say amen to that? Everything that God has done is perfect. Even when he chose you. Amen. 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 That was a perfect choice. I was getting quiet all of a sudden. You know, when we look at God's perfection, when we look at God's omnipotence, when we look at God's great being, we say, Amen! Glory to God! He's the perfect one, but He was even perfect in choosing you. He never made a mistake, and He chose you before the foundation of the world in Him. Praise be to God. Brother Branham takes it. A subject and I'll just give you a bit of background of my studies here, just in case you want to study for yourself. In 1956 and 1957, I could see that God was dealing with Brother Branham on this subject. And uh, the word perfection, or perf- the, the perfect or perfection, and actually some Greek words that are not, tra- and the same Greek word that is not translated that way always in the English, appears in the book of Hebrews more than anywhere else in the Bible. But before Brother Branham preached on the Hebrew series in 1957, he preached in 1956 a message called Perfection. And then in 1957 at Easter time, again he took the same title and preached on Perfection. And so I may quote a little bit from these messages today because he brings out some wonderful thoughts. And he says in 1956, he says, Last Sunday we thought we'd get to the subject of Perfection. But then God moved us back and got foreknowledge, showing us where that before the world ever was formed, God being infinite, who cannot lie, cannot speak anything contrary, knows everything just as perfect at the beginning as He is at the end, and just as perfect at the end as He was at the beginning, and God is endless like eternity." You can never find the corner of a circle. You could run and run through the ages and eternity and there'd never, never, never be an end to it. That's the way God is. All right, now as Brother Branham's saying this in his... Now you have to understand, a prophet of God reaches out into realms that the English language doesn't cover. He's looking at things that you'll never be able to describe with English words or any language on this earth and so as he begins to describe the things that God's showing him and the revelations that are pouring out from the word he tries to relate it down into a very simple language and he just describes a circle and and, you know in the simplicity of it in the perfection of it he says a circle you never find the end of it it's there's no corner to it there's no flaw to it in other words it's just continual continual eternity he says First was God, which always was. He was infinite, perfect to begin with. And He will always be the same. He can never change. He's perfectly the same. So in describing a circle, Brother Branham goes to how perfect God is in the beginning. But now when you look at the circle, where is the beginning? God always was. And so it's easy, he's describing a concept to us that we might we might and I'll say it this way it's more than an intellectual concept, because a prophet is preaching this with passion, as he's coming to know the God that is his God that birthed him, in whose mind he was, the same God that birthed you and this great God in all that he is if we could if we could understand a little bit about him then we could understand how to approach him we could understand how to how to take his promises we could understand how to live up to our privileges amen we could understand how to overcome the enemy because when we look at God and we look at the devil we are not looking at two equals we are looking at God and we are looking at the devil right. All right, it's, and so when we see God somewhat equal with the devil, then we're not seeing God right. Amen. God is so far beyond the devil Amen. that the devil has no power over him, and as a matter of fact, has to ask God permission before he can ever give you a trial. Amen. Praise the Lord. Nothing ever happens to us but what God allows it. Amen. So, this God who is perfect. Brother Branham says, then, there's two scriptures I'll, that, I, that I'll go to, besides Hebrews, to talk about perfection. And this is one of them. At Jesus, at the end of the Beatitudes, comes to it and says, in Matthew 5, the last chapter, the last verse, rather, verse 48. He says, be ye, therefore, perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. My What kind of perfection is that? You be perfect like he's perfect. You be where he is. You come to the place that he is at. Now, Brother Branham takes up the Hebrews, goes over to Hebrews in the same message, perfection. Right at the beginning, actually, he says, now, the writer of the Hebrew letter is supposedly to have been Paul. Because it sounds like his writing." And the Hebrew letter was to the Jews, the Hebrews. And it was Paul trying to separate law from grace. Showing the difference between what the law was and what grace is. Because the Hebrews was under the law. And then Paul was trying to show them what grace was. And then he makes this statement, which helped me. He says, and I think myself that the 10th chapter here and the first verse would be a perfect key to the whole thing all right so he zeroes right in on the scripture that we read to start and so now as we i want to do something a little bit different this morning and as i was studying going through the book of hebrews what got me going on it was because i was following along the bible readings in the family altar book in book one, and I hadn't done that for a while, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to read the own de- my own devotions that I put together, and I just read and follow along the scriptures. And as often happens, I get into a book of the Bible and I can't get out of it. And so I'll go over it and reread it. And re- I remember Brother Matthew and I were talking a while back about the book of Romans, and just in those chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, those great chapters in the book of Romans, which always I wondered why. Excuse me for interjecting some thoughts here, but I always wondered why Brother Brown never went through the book of Romans. Like he did the book of Hebrews, because the book of Romans, Luther went through it in a great way. and speak. But it was a great book of justification. But in the book of Hebrews, and I discovered something, personally, maybe you already know it. But as I was reading the book of Hebrews and how Paul dealt with the subject of perfection... And I thought, you know, what would happen if I took just the scriptures on perfection out of the book of Hebrews and put them together, what kind of a story would they tell? And so I did that on an overhead for you this morning, and we're going to read all the scriptures. And rather have you flip through your Bible, I'm going to let you follow me along with me on the PowerPoint that's here. And then we'll go into it a little bit in detail. So first, I'm just going to read through these, if you just follow along on the screen with me. For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Alright, so it starts at our salvation and the captain of our salvation. And being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that believe. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need was there of another priest that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. I'm just reading the story here. Which was a figure. For the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, they could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Which leads us to, but Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those uh, sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. So we see from the beginning Paul is introducing something here and he's transitioning here from the law to what Christ did for us. For by one offering... He has perfected forever them that are sanctified. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. But you are come unto Mount Zion. I had to bring the context to these ones. Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now what are we talking about? Perfect things to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect Amen. in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Those are the scriptures. Amen. You can. Put that down and you can actually reset it to the beginning because I'll go through some of them in detail. It's quite a story when you put it all together. There had to be one, the captain of our salvation, that was made perfect. It became him. Amen. Thank you. For it became Him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation, we could say the captain of our salvation, make Him perfect through sufferings. Perfection then, this perfection was not something that Jesus was born with. Now that's quite a statement. Because when he was born, he was perfect. But this perfection, this completion, this maturity, this, this form of existence was not something that was in the babe in the manger. This was something that had to be added to him through sufferings because that he came from that perfect dimension into this imperfect dimension. And he was a perfect God from... A perfect realm to come to but to come into this realm perfection must be molded you know it's something that we realize even as individuals and we could go into it but we won't into Hebrews chapter 12 how that the Bible says God deals with you as with a son whom the Lord loves he chastens Whom the Lord loves, He reproves. He brings us through a process in our life because He's got something that He wants to take us to, and that's a perfection. That's something that's a reality. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not putting perfection of salvation on this Scripture, but I want you to see something here because Joseph was a perfect type of Christ. He was what Brother Branham called a perfect man. Brother Branham called, looked at Joseph's life in the Old Testament and how that his response in every situation was so wonderful and how that, you know, he was just a man that never seemed to make a mistake, always did things right, acted right, behaved himself in the right way, all of those kind of things. And, and he actually called him uh, one of the four uh, foundations of, of the of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and how that Abraham, uh, you know, represented uh, justification, how that Isaac represented love, how that Jacob represented grace, and how that that, uh, Joseph represented perfection. He said, because Joseph was such a perfect man, he looked at Joseph and he prayed about Joseph and he thought, oh God. And God spoke to him and says, you'll have a son and you'll name his name Joseph. Why? Because there was something moving in Brother Branham. But now, uh, having said that all about Joseph, when we go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, the faith chapter, we find things written about Enoch we find things written about Moses we find much written about Abraham we find much written about men especially Abraham and Moses whom you could look at and say they made mistakes in their lives but walked by great faith but Joseph whom brother Branham pinpointed and say if he ever made a mistake it was only that he told his father to say you're a cattle herder and not a sheep herder and so uh, in that Joseph was slightly flawed but in that he said he was such a perfect man but the book of Hebrews 11 as it describes Joseph it only describes one little statement about Joseph by faith Joseph Bible says when he died spake of the going out of Israel and said take my bones with you gave them a commandment concerning his bones he was a prophet says you're gonna leave here it maybe didn't matter to to Reuben Maybe it didn't matter to Judah. Maybe it didn't matter to different ones. We don't know in the Bible whether they ever gave commandment. But Joseph gave commandment. Jacob said, I won't be buried here in Egypt. I must be buried where there's a resurrection. And and Joseph said the same thing. He says, when you leave, take my bones with you. Don't leave me here. There was no doubt many that died in those generations in Israel down there in Egypt and their bones stayed there and they'll actually come up in the second resurrection. They'll come up at the judgment day because they were not in the place of the resurrection in that day. But yet they'll have to give an answer for their lives at the great white throne judgment. But in all of that, that great servant Joseph, in his perfection. It just mentions one scripture about him. And I thought to myself, I thought, perfection in this world, in many ways, and this is just Brother Tim speaking, is a little bit boring. We can identify with Abraham and his mistakes. We can identify with Paul and his mistakes. We can identify with Peter and his mistakes. Okay, I can identify with them. Uh, You all are perfect already. I, I should have picked a different subject, I see. But you know, we identify with the believers that overcame their shortcomings because we are called to overcome our shortcomings. And there are things in our lives that even after we are born again, because we have this mortal body still to contend with, we realize that our greatest enemy is right here. We can't look elsewhere and say, this one did that or that. We can't even look back in our lives and blame it something on the past because we all have something in our past that if we could do it over again, we would redo it. Amen? Amen. We all have something back there. I, I was thinking even as, uh, as a father over a family, how that, you know, I, I, I cannot lay claim that I have a perfect family. That probably doesn't surprise you. But I can't, neither can I claim that I've been a perfect father. And I look back even in my own life and say, you know, there's things about my life. If I had to do it over again, I'd do it over again. But yet when I look back, it's the best I knew at that time. And so I realize if today I stand saying I would do it again, I would do it differently. Then I realize from that day to this day, I have grown something has happened i've been molded there's maybe been some suffering there's been some trials i've gone through that has caused me now to look back and realize that that didn't really measure up back there but now if i have to do it again of course in a family way i get to do it all again but you know if i have to do it all again you know we do it a little bit differently now i was uh forgive me brother phil you can you can argue with me later. I was with that Brother Phil and Sister Melissa last weekend for Brother Gil's birthday. I won't say what year it was, Brother Gil. And, and, and we, were, uh, we were just, you know, they've gone through the, the infant stage with their child. And uh, it, it hasn't been easy as it never is with the first child. Because you're learning and the poor child doesn't understand you're just learning right and so we all went through it with our first child and so uh, you know we were just watching their reaction they were watching our reaction to something that little Gideon was doing and uh, it wasn't a big deal. It was just little baby things. And, and, uh, and somebody mentioned something and, and said, oh, you know, are you just going to let him you know, uh, fuss a little bit? And, and, and you, know, you know, so we just kind of talked a little bit on the subject. But it was interesting as I was talking, Now I'll finish the conversation. I was talking to Sister Sarah afterwards, and I said, you have to understand, that's their first child. So everything that child did was brand new. The first time that they had to deal with something, they had never dealt with that before. Even as the scripture says, we've never been this way before. And so they were, they were fresh on the ground. They could phone mom for advice or phone grandma for advice or mother-in-law this or, or that and everything. But dealing with the situation is totally new. I says, now you have the benefit. I've been there before. All right. So when the baby does something, I could tell you, don't worry about it. Been there, done that as they say. I don't know if I got the t-shirt, but you know, I I think I got the scars to prove it. (laughs) Praise the Lord. But we've grown. Something has happened where we realized we weren't perfect, we're better. But yet we still stand today as the Apostle Paul and say, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, laying aside the things that are in the past, I press towards the mark. What's the mark? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen. You with me so far? All right. So being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. This being perfected qualified Him as the author. You know, the, the Bible uses the term the author and the finisher of our faith. The word finisher is actually the same word perfect. So He's actually the author and He's the perfecter of our faith. So he did create a faith in us, but he also perfects that faith. He also brings you to a level of faith or revelation that perfects the place that he wants you to be. And I'm actually building to something here, and I better not delay. So, as the apostle goes on to speak in Hebrews chapter 6, he says therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of christ and again obviously i'm skipping over a lot of scriptures to get to these places but leaving the principles of the doctrine of christ let us go on to perfection he didn't discount says you're not a believer yet you don't have the holy ghost yet you know you haven't been born again yet no no he's talking about something else he says seeing that you have come to this faith Seeing that you have laid the foundation, you've been repented, you've, got, you've had salvation, you've been baptized. All of these things have taken place in your life. But let us go on from there. Don't stay there. Don't stay at your immaturity. Somebody say amen. Especially in this age that we're living in. Don't, there's no reason to stay at immaturity. We have all of the tools that we, have, that we need as sons and daughters of God to be all that God describes in what He's called us to be. I was thinking about marriage, and I'll come to back to that later for a certain reason, but as I was thinking about a marriage relationship and how that, you know, there's no reason not to have a good marriage. I'll let that one sink in just a little bit. The reason that we don't have a good relationship in our marriage, if there's anybody here like that, I trust you've all overcome that. But if there's anybody here that is, is still not where you want to be, it's sometimes because we're a little bit cowardly to deal with the situations or the things that need to be dealt with. Because we actually have in the light of the message of the hour, everything that a son and daughter of God needs because the whole word has become open. Not only that, we've come to a bright age. We've come to the invisible union of the heavenly bridegroom and the earthly bride. The types and the shadows which the Apostle Paul spoke of in Ephesians of a husband and wife. And Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. All the things that he spoke of that back there pertaining Christ in the church. He was speaking of a mystery. That mystery has been unveiled. Hallelujah. I'll say it again. That mystery has been revealed. The mystery of marriage in the sight of God has been revealed. Therefore, the truth about marriage lays right within the message of the hour. And everything that a husband and a wife needs to bring the relationship in the home to the level that they need to come to is laying right there. So then I take the same scripture and say, let us go on to perfection. Hallelujah. You see, we can't lay back and say, well, you know, I guess it's just the way I am. No, God gave you the tools to change the way you are. Yeah. Yeah. You see, well, I was born this way. I was born under a certain sign. I was born with a certain personality. You know, I was born with different things in my life. Those are just the things that you battle against. Right. But great are the weapons of our warfare. Yeah. Able to tear down strongholds fo- and anything that will exalt itself against the Word of God. Amen. Amen. We have all the weapons at our disposal. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. Let the hallelujahs roll. Amen. Let me sing my Savior's praises by and by. Right. That's what the song says. Yes. Amen. There's nothing that we don't have but what we need. And there's nothing that we need but what we have. Right. And all of those things are laying right at our disposal because the Word of God has become unveiled. Now let me just stop here for a moment. We can talk about heavenly things and dimensions and angels and going to other realms and, and all those kinds of things. And that we will do. Even as Paul says, that we will do if time permits. But yet in the midst of all those things, we are not going to live right there if you don't receive what God has sent for you here and overcome in this dimension. Hallelujah. We have everything we have need of. You have everything you have need of. You say, well, Brother Tim, I got troubles that you don't know nothing about. No, but God knows. God knew you would have that trouble in this age. Brothers, God knew your wife would be bombarded with thoughts in a feminist age. But he gave the antidote to it. Oh, is it not politically correct to mention that? I'm sorry. God knew, sisters, that your husband would be bombarded in an age of how not to be a man. But God also gave the antidote to that that a man could step up to the plate and be a man and take his place and lead his household and know what it is to conquer the enemy on his knees in prayer to know what it is to create an atmosphere in the home to know what it is, oh I thank God for this message every time I see a shortcoming, every time I see a flaw in my life I say but that which is perfect has come That that which is in part can be done away with. I'm not standing here today saying, well, I don't have the answer. No, I'm standing here today and I'm standing in the midst of every battle saying somewhere in this word is the answer because the entire word has been revealed. And by the Spirit of God that dwells in me, it will bring even this mortal body in subjection to the word of God. Let us go on unto perfection. How do you get there? Only by being in Christ. That's the only way to get into perfection. He alone is perfect. So you've got to come to a meeting with Him. You've got to come to that place by the new birth. Because perfection only comes from the inside. Amen. And when you are in Christ, that's the place that you want to be. You see. I'm just pausing just to see how much time I have as to which direction we go in here. We'll just, we'll just go to the next scripture. He talks about perfection. I love this scripture. It might be kind of different to you. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood or the law, for under it the people received the law, what further need is there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? The need for perfection required another priesthood. It required a priesthood greater than what the law could give. And that's why in the Bible Melchizedek appears when God was dealing with Abraham under grace. It does not appear under the law. It did not appear, God did not appear in the form of Melchizedek to Moses on the mountain and give him the law. No, Melchizedek was the priesthood of grace. And that's why Brother Branham would come in the last days and, and, and uh, what age we are living in and take this Melchizedek as just a name in history, a name which Paul deals with in Romans cha- or Hebrews chapter 7. And he begin to describe who is this Melchizedek without beginning of days nor ending of life. You know, is it none other than the Lord Jesus Christ? And it's God himself in a priesthood come down to minister grace to the believer. Amen. And if that's so in that day, then it brings, Brother Branham brings it right up into our day and says, Who is this Melchizedek that is right amongst us ministering grace to the hearers? Because you see, it was a meeting that was taking place. Abraham back there in his day come from the slaughter of the kings. He had fought the battle. He had put his life on the line. He had believed for his brother and he had rescued Lot and his family. Come back from the slaughter of the kings. And there Melchizedek met him on the road and fed him bread and wine. Gave him communion. Abraham you're a part of me. This bread is my body. This wine is my blood. There's a covenant that's coming. He was foreshadowing something. Oh my... You see, these meetings with God, this is what really struck me last week. These meetings with God, let me just share this with you, are so powerful. Brother Ed talked about his meetings with God. You know where your meetings with God. That's why we come into a place like this. We want to have a meeting with God. We want Melchizedek to come to our address individually. But you know, even when he met Abraham... And he foreshadowed the covenant that was to come through that faith covenant that was made with Abraham. That sacrifice that Abraham had made back before that and how that God had met him and all of those things that had taken place. Now God met him on the road as Melchizedek. And he's foreshadowing, I'm going to come in another form of meeting. I'm going to come in flesh one day. I'm going to come down and make a covenant with all people. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to give my body. I'm going to to allow others to come into this covenant by the new birth. I'm going to have a meeting with each son and daughter of God individually. And so Brother Biscoe spoke about his meeting. How that he was up on the Alaska Highway as a young child. Then he, you know, 40 years later, whenever it was, 20 years later, I'm sorry. He, a prophet of God comes along and they go out for a walk and he they, they comes to a place. And he's got these questions. And, and Brother Biscoe's expression is that, I met God there. Right. Brother Branham wasn't God. He was a vessel that God used to speak yes. as a prophet. Yes. But yet God come down in that vessel and spoke to another man. And that man had a meeting with God there and something changed now when God meets you in that supernatural way he does not say I'm going to hold your hand he says I met you here now I'm going to send you and then I'm going to meet you in another place because God knows when he meets us it sets us on a trajectory and he knows where that meeting is going to take us he knows you won't be able because if it's a real meeting with God He knows you won't be able to get away from that meeting. No matter you try to go this way, there's an anchor back here. You try to go that way, there's an anchor back here. Just like Moses, when God met Moses out in the wilderness in the form of a burning bush, Moses met God, it changed him. It totally changed him. God said, now, I've I've heard the cry of my people. I've come down to deliver them. I'm sending you down there to bring them out of Egypt. And when you bring them out of Egypt, I'll meet you back here. Is that what God said? I'll meet you back here. I'm sending you on a trajectory. And that trajectory is going to take you through Egypt, gather up a bunch of people, and bring you right back here, and I'll meet you back here. It wasn't like God wasn't with him. No, Moses prayed, God answered. Moses prayed, God answered. Moses prayed, God answered. God was with him, but he wasn't holding his hand. Until he came across the, to the Red Sea with the children of Israel. And he said, now, well, what am I going to do? And he goes on his face before God. And God says, why are you crying unto me? I told you I'd meet you on the mountain. Are you on the mountain? Don't expect a meeting here. I said, I'd meet you there. Now speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Amen. Amen. When God meets you, it takes you somewhere. Amen. It's an anchor. It's an assurance. It's something beyond the veil, but it takes you to a destination. It's called a divine appointment. There's a destination. It all points to And God has a series of meetings, and I'll just say, there's a series of meetings that all brings us to one great meeting where everybody will be gathered, and that's at the white throne judgment. But what you did with the meetings you had with God here determine where you will be there. The bride will be there, but she'll be the one judging. Amen? The foolish virgin will be there, and they'll be given eternal life. They that, that, that uh, were just helpful to the body of Christ, helpful to the bride, whatever you might call it, gave a glass of water to somebody that was thirsty in the body. To them, they'll be given eternal life. There'll be those that maybe had the opportunity to do something good to them. They'll be not given eternal life. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. There'll be those that, that whose names were never written in the book of life. They're just atomic fodder from the beginning. They'll be there also. And they, they'll be like Cain who had a meeting with God. And God said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. He went the other direction completely. And he'll be there. And he'll be cast into the lake of fire. And Hitler will be cast into the lake of fire. And Stalin will be cast into the lake of fire. I'm not the judge, but I'll be there judging on that day, I believe. And I'll know more than I know now. And if there was no repentance, there'll be a lake of fire. Because it's a meeting with God. You can't get away from those meetings. God equipped Moses with a great force, a great inward power of the presence of God. It wasn't the only time God was going to do that. When Moses came back to the mountain and met with God again, there was a furthering of that. God put the word in Moses till Moses came down from the mountain and his face shone. Is that right? Why didn't his face shine at the first meeting? It was a further meeting with God. So you might have had a meeting with God, but maybe you need another meeting with God. Maybe you've come to the place in your life where you're, you're kind of floundering. And you're, and you're like, well, what, what do I do? And, and I, I know i met God back here. I've had an experience with God. Maybe it's time you look for that next meeting place where you say, oh God, what is it that you want me to do now? You led me back here. You led me here. This is this is all from last Sunday, folks. You, you led me here. And you met me there. And you met me there. But now here I am here. And Lord, I'm not exactly sure if I'm going the right direction or not. But if I need to be changing direction, I need you to change my direction. Amen. I cannot change my direction on the basis of thought because I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I can only change it on the basis of a meeting with God. And when God meets with you and gives you that revelation from his word, it's an anchor. You cannot go back because it's a new tiepost post that says, I met God there. Yes, I met God here. I met God there. but I met God here again and he said go in this direction and that's the direction I'm going in listen the prophet of God even takes it how many have been following the family altar book how many have been reading it if you read book one a few days ago you'll read the quote where brother Brown says you can't even take what a preacher said you can't even take necessarily what, what a prophet an anointed prophet will say if it's contrary to what God told you now that's powerful what is he talking about? He says, it's your personal experience with God. If it's an anointed prophet, it'll agree with that. But the point is, you've got to follow that. Because so many times, even as believers, we can take scriptures, or we can take quotes, or we can take things and say, well, Brother Branham said this, or Brother Branham said that, and take it for justification for what we want to do. Right. So, a prophet even gave us a warning and says, You can't even take what an anointed prophet says if it disagrees with what God told you to do. And he goes back to the Old Testament and he talks about the prophet that was told to go and prophesy against the king. And God told him, Don't eat their food, don't drink their water, don't stay overnight. Just say this, turn around and go back a different way than how you came. It's very specific instructions. See, what am am I saying this morning? We try to figure things out. But that prophet had a meeting with perfection. And it was that meeting with perfection that shone that perfect light on his pathway and says, in the midst of all this confusion, you need to come this way and go that way. Don't stop here. Don't eat. Don't drink. Don't do nothing. You just come, say what I told you to say, and go on. And then there was another older prophet who knew the ways of the prophets. And so he said to the young prophet, he says, you know what? After the angel of the Lord spoke to you, he spoke to me. And said, come in, invite him in and feed him. And the young prophet, he said, well, I respect your age. I respect that you're a prophet. Who am I? I'm just a young guy. And I I guess what you're telling me is, I don't see any reason why you would lie to me. And he goes in, and the Spirit of God comes on the old prophet and says, Thus saith the Lord, because you didn't listen to God, you're going to die. When God speaks to you, it will always agree with the Word, number one. But, it will, but you are always to obey what God speaks to you. Alright, God will never take you outside of His Word. It's not get hooky spooks and scary business and say, oh, God spoke to me and I'm to go jump off the Empire State Building because he's going to bear me up. No, the, angel, the devil tried to tell that to Jesus. He said, you know, the word says, cast yourself down for the angels will bear you up. He says, but it's also written. Amen. Amen. So Moses came back to the mountain and God spoke to him and filled Moses with the word and he came down from the mountain Because he had obeyed God after the first meeting. And he had walked with God in obedience. And now he came back to the mountain. And God says, now I'm going to give Israel my law. And he gave them the law. And Moses came down with the tablets and his face shone. And God was with Moses. And his face shone as long as the word was in him. And Moses was to write the first five books of the Bible. After 40 days up on that mountain. My, talk about tremendous revelation. And yet the, but Moses could record in those same five books about himself and Moses was the meekest man in all the earth. Right. I tell you, absolutely. How could a man be up in the presence of God and see things from the creation of time all the way down through the law, all the way down through the, the covenants of God and, and the abominations and the things that pleases God and, and the truth behind the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You know, Israel would have never wrote that history about their patriarchs. But God said, you write this. You write Abraham lied about his sister. You write about Isaac. You write about Jacob being a shyster. You write about these kind of things. Because I'm trying to reflect my perfection in their imperfection. It's a story of perfection. But it's displayed in all of the imperfections of the individual human lives that I have down through the ages. Because my redemptive purpose is perfect. Hallelujah. Now, let me stop for a moment. Talk about another man. I was thinking about Esau. I hope I'm not going to... Brother John was saying last week he was speaking about uh, some things, and I hope this isn't what he's speaking on tonight. I don't know. But Esau was on a trajectory that wasn't good. Why? His father was Isaac. All right. Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And Isaac loved Esau. Isaac was happy with Esau. Isaac was impressed with Esau. Jacob, as is called a shyster, a man not robust like Esau, a man not a hunter like Esau, a man, we, we might say Esau was a man's man. You know, he was a man of the wilderness. He was a man of, uh, of, of get up and go and do things. And, and, uh, but yet, something about Esau God hated. And now I want you to listen very closely, especially young men and young women. Esau despised the birthright. Now... This is also in Hebrews. He despised the birthright. But now, why did he despise the birthright? Because in the birthright, he had to marry the right kind of a wife. In the birthright, he couldn't do certain things. He wanted to enjoy the world. He wanted to have whatever woman he wanted. You read the story. His parents were grieved that he he married the Canaanite women. And so in all of that, Esau was like, what good is the birthright if it constrains me from the things that I want to do? He despised the birthright. And because of that, he didn't value it. And so when it came time that he was coming in from the field hungry and, and, uh, and Jacob had some food there and he came to this crossroads in his life. Really like a meeting with God. And he came to this crossroads and, and Jacob, he says to Jacob, give me some of your food. He says, alright, I'll give you some. Sell me the birthright for some of this food. And Esau says, Well, what good is the birthright to me anyway if I die? Why am I saying this? Sometimes the devil, young man, young woman, will push you to be an Esau. What good is the message if it doesn't let you do what you want to do? What good is it to to follow this message? There's so much out there. There's so many things. But let me tell you something. When Esau came to the end of that trajectory, and he arrived at the place that that trajectory came to, he says, okay, I'm ready to repent now. There was no God there. There was no God to meet him at that place. He sought a place of repentance with tears, and he could not find it. Why? Because that trajectory that he had gone on had taken him in the wrong direction. And now he came to a place where it's like, oh, okay, I've sold my wild oats. I've done my things. I I, have just let the world just kind of rule my life. But now I'm ready to repent. I'll tell you what. Oh, God, won't you hear my cry? I, I really would like to have the blessing. I'd like to have the blessing of the message. This is hard to say this morning as it is hard to hear. I'd love to have the the good things of this message. It's too late, he saw. You should have turned back a long time ago. You should have changed your trajectory or more accurately had a meeting with God and let Him change your trajectory. Don't let the devil put you on a trajectory. That's going to take you to a place where there is no God. If I would somebody this morning that was wrestling with that, I would repent this morning and say, Oh God, I need a meeting with you. I must have a meeting with God. Lord, don't let me be an Esau. Come on, saints. Come on, moms and dads. Don't let me be an Esau. Don't let me be somebody that just is enticed by the world until it's too late. Oh, God, let me value the birthright. Let me value the revealed Word. Yes, it's a hard way. Yes, it's a difficult way. It's a narrow path. It keeps the world away from you and you away from the world. But the end thereof is a great reward. Hallelujah. Good. The greatest thing we have this hour... The greatest thing you can have in the world is to be called of God. That's the greatest thing you could have. God call you. God call you to a meeting. God say to you, you're mine. I don't want you walking the way of the world. And I'll give you strength to overcome the world. I've called you to be a peculiar people. The world won't understand you. That's the greatest sound you could hear. The world doesn't know what you're all about. That's the greatest thing. Not to try and be understood by the world. Not to try and be understood by your compatriots, your co-workers, your schoolmates, whatever it might be, your family. All of those things. They'll never understand you. The fact that you heard the call of God, that's the sweetest sound you could ever hear in your life. There's people out there in the world, and I hate to say it today, even as Paul said it in his day, I hate to say it, but they've gone their way. They've left the message of the hour. They've despised the birthright. They've walked away from it. I tell you weeping that their end is destruction. It's not going to end well for them. May God grant to them, I've heard of one that came back after 30 or 40 years or whatever it was, and it walked away in ignorance many, many years ago. Let me say it again. I heard of one that came back to God after so long a time. I say God was merciful to him. But the vast majority are those that despised it and walked away from it, headed to a meeting where they think, There's blessing and there's no blessing there. They think there's hope, but there's no hope there. Don't be that person, brothers, sisters, young person. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're called and separated unto God don't despise it it might be hard sometimes you won't even understand it why did God make me this way even his brother Bradham said I don't understand why if I miss the mark when I'm shooting the bullet it so grieves me I'm just shooting a gun why should it hurt me why should it trouble my feelings if I'm a little bit off target God says I made you that way yeah because you've got to hit the target every time that i give you the word you've got to hit the target there's something in you when you you get a little bit we all get in the flesh from time to time i'll pause for an amen we all get in the flesh from time to time and because of that we all get to a place where we feel like this isn't the place i want. i want to be This is not right. Why? Because there's a spirit inside of you that says, that's not you. That's your flesh. And the devil has enticed you there. Now quickly get on your knees and repent. And I say, praise God for those times. I thank God that there's something in me that when I say something a little bit off to my wife, there's something in me that says, you didn't say that right. Now go and make it right. And immediately I'll go and say, I'm sorry. I didn't say that right. That was wrong. Forgive me. That was just my flesh. Or I might not even say that. I just take the. I just claim the responsibility. That was me. I'm sorry. It wasn't right to speak to you that way. I love you, and I don't want you to think any other way. It was a little bit off, and I'm not even talking about arguing or anything like that. Just something that's a little bit off. But there's a little twinge on the inside of the inside that says that's not right. Sometimes in the dealings of life, we go through it with our co-workers or different ones. That's not right. Now you go and make that right. Now you go and correct that. You go and put that in its right place. I thank God for that. I don't want to be like the world that that can tell a bold-faced lie and not feel a twinge of guilt about it. I don't want to be like the world that can live any old way that they want to. And the news is full of people. Of their perversions and and all of the things. I don't even read the articles. Just look at the headlines tells you enough. And and, and all of the stuff that's going on that you always knew was out there. But now the filth is rising to the surface. And that's exposed for the whole world to see. and, And now they're saying, I'm sorry. No, they're not. They weren't sorry when they did it and they're not sorry now. They're sorry they got caught. But there was nothing in them at the time to apologize and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I don't ever want to be in that place. I don't want to be in a place of Esau that says, I'm going to kill my brother. I am going to kill him. He has ruined my life. And I would gladly kill him if I get my hands on the Esau. And Jacob had to run away for his life. I don't ever want to be in that place that Esau was in. That has hard feelings against somebody. I want to be in a place where I know God is. I want to be on the right trajectory. I want to be where the meeting is supposed to take me. Hallelujah. Perfection is what we're talking about. For the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw nigh to God. Oh, then it tells us we're on a trajectory. This trajectory is drawing us nigh to God. This covenant through Jesus Christ, whom I met one day, and he gave me his own life. Now by that, I'm drawing nigh to God. Well, what does that meeting comprise of, Brother Tim? It comprises of you and God, and that's it. Like the man that was in the automobile dealership, salesman, and he put his coat on after work and reached into his pocket, and somebody had stuck a little tag in his pocket, and it said on the tag, if you were to die today, where would you go? Or something like that. Huh, where would I go? All of a sudden, his heart was turned towards God. And he, he, he began to seek God. He began to draw nigh to God. And so he began to, to search. And he'd go to this church. And he said, This church said, put your name on the book. And he's telling this to Brother Branham. He says, I put my name on the book, but I didn't feel any different. He says, and I went to another church, and they said, if you shouted. He says, I got so, so much into service till I shouted. He says, but I didn't feel any different. He says, then I went to this other church and said, if you spoke in tongues. He says, and I, I, I spoke in tongues. I, I did what they told me to do. He says, but I spoke in tongues, and I didn't feel any different. And they said, you know, there's something that's deeper in you. You need to go talk to Brother Branham. He's a prophet. And, and so he says, here I am talking to you. He says, he says what what, what is it about me? What's wrong with me? Why, why can't I find what I'm looking for? He says, well, he says, let me ask you a question. Before you read that thing in your pocket, which way were you headed? He said, well, I was just in the world, just doing the things of the world, partying with my buddies, doing whatever, all that kind of stuff. He says, what happened when you read that? He said, well, it turned me around. Amen. And then it dawned on me, he says, you mean that was where I met God. Brother Bram said that was the place. It set him on a trajectory of drawing nigh to God. It was so powerful, just a few words in a moment. See, if you could, that's what coming to church is about, just a few words. might not take the whole service. Just a few words in a moment directed directly at you sets you on a trajectory you cannot get away from might be somebody sitting out there on the internet this morning that's, that's wondering, oh, why am I going through this? Why am I going through that? Because you're a daughter of God. Right. Because you're a son of God. You can't get away from it. You met God back here. And you might feel like you're in a place of, I'll say, nowheresville today. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're wondering, what direction am I going in? Don't worry. If you met God back here, you're on a trajectory. Yeah. And you've got another meeting ahead. And it might be this morning. That God's going to come right down by your address and drop His Word in your heart and give you a direction in your life. Amen. That's all it takes. I'm, uh, how many knows my son Andrew? He was here a little while back. I remember when he was 16 years old, floundering, you know, 16-year-old boys are like nailing jello to the wall. It's not hard to deal with. Or it's not easy to deal with. And, and you know, life is just in throes of waves of hormones and thoughts and immaturity and everywhere. And he wouldn't mind me telling you this. He's a minister now up in Edmonton at End Time Message Tabernacle. Probably preaching tonight. And I could see that he was really being attracted. He was athletic. And so he wanted the things that athletes love. He loved the competition. He loved... Naturally speaking, the crowd, he loved the girls, the adoration of the girls. And all of those things that come with being an athlete. And I picked him up from a friend's house. And we were sitting in my driveway. And we were talking. We were going back and forth. And all the time I'm thinking, oh God, help me. Help me, Lord. I need your help. And we're just going back and forth. and I just try to minister to the soul realm. Can't deal with the flesh. No sense trying to modify the flesh. You know, that's, that's just reformation. That just works. So you're dealing with the soul realm. Trying to reach that soul realm. And, and, and I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but I remember the end of it. And I said, really, Andrew, you just need to make your decision. You've admitted that God is dealing with you. And God will continue to deal with you. But you're the only one that can say, yes, Lord. I said, you can even do it right now. And God. God came on the scene. Right in that car in that driveway. And he said, okay, I'll serve God. That's all it took. We bowed our heads and prayed. He gave his life to the Lord. He's never looked back since. Didn't take a camp meeting. Camp meetings are good. They're wonderful. Didn't take an altar call. Altar calls are good. They're wonderful. If that's what it takes. They're all wonderful. Every service is wonderful. Every experience with God is wonderful. But it doesn't take all that. It just takes you to decide, Okay, I give in, Lord. I'll serve you. And God came down, and from that moment on, he was never the same. Amen. Was he still athletic? Sure he was. Was he still a boy? Sure he was. He was still 16 years old. But God came down and touched the soul. And from that moment on, you saw a change in a life that he just began to walk on a certain trajectory. Hallelujah. God came down and met him because he said, I'll serve God. It's a meeting with perfection. Everything else is imperfection. But the Bible says, you know, Paul spoke about it in, in 1 Corinthians 13. I'll bring this to a close. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Now in this day we understand what Paul was referring to there. Back then it was a mystery. When that which is perfect is come. All you could say in that day, when that comes, I want to be there. I don't know what that is, but when it appears, I want to be there. What was it referring to? Paul might not have even known. Maybe he did. But he actually spoke it in First Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. A message that will bring the perfection of the word. Or the Lord himself, which is perfect, shall descend with perfection. And will bring perfection into the midst of his people. Let me read it to you out of the church age book. Brother Branham says, down through the centuries we could go. We find a Moses, a Jeremiah, a John the Baptist. Each one of these were God's eternal thought expressed in its season. Now let me stop for a moment. If that's God's eternal thought expressed in a season, his thoughts are perfect. That means Moses was God's perfect thought expressed. Amen. John was God's perfect thought expressed. Are you with me? Amen. He says, then we come to Jesus, the Logos. He was the perfect and complete thought expressed. And he became known as the Word. That is what he is and forever will be. Now it says that he has chosen us in him. Jesus. Before the foundation of the world. Stop there. This is doctrine. But it's something that you've got to comprehend. May God open your understanding and open my understanding the way it ought to be this morning. He chose us in Him. Who is He? He's the perfect and complete thought of God. He chose us in Him. Before the foundation of the world. Back there He wrote our names on the Lamb's book of life this is his perfect choosing this is the perfect and complete thought broken apart now I'm going to put my perfection inside of imperfection but that perfection is going to win over imperfection hallelujah hallelujah I'm going to put my thought. It's going to be a seed gene. And I'm going to drop it down inside of somebody that's going to be so full of imperfections. I'm going to show the power of perfection. That it will override all your imperfections. Hallelujah. It will deliver you. It will raise you up. It will give you the victory when you yield to the perfection that God has put within you. He says that means that we were right there with him in the mind and thoughts of God before the foundation of the world. That gives us an excuse me, that gives an eternal quality to the elect. And then he says you cannot get away from that. Hallelujah. Like someone said you can run but you can't hide. You can't get away from that eternal aspect that's in your life because that eternal is a part of the endless eternal. It's a part of that circle that never did begin and never did end. It may be dropped down as Brother Branham describes it in this little region of time and we've been traveling through it, but through this little region of time, Brother Branham says there's a scarlet thread. What is it? It's that perfection. That God one day is going to take the other end of the scarlet thread and pull it. And everybody that's attached to that line is going to come right back into the circle once again. Amen. Hallelujah. We're going to be brought back there because we have had a meeting with perfection. It has set us into His thoughts as His thoughts are perfect. And those perfect thoughts have set us on a perfect project trajectory. It has set us into a place that we need to be. He says, then Brother Branham says about this seed. I could talk about different aspects, but I want to bring it to a close here. We could talk about Mary. When that perfection came to her, she was just a little girl in an imperfect age, battling imperfect things, but there was a piece of perfection in her. That was going to be called back to the fullness of perfection. And the angel said, give her the word. And all she had to do was receive the word. Be it unto me according to your word. And that changed the trajectory of her entire life. Every seed of God, Brother Brown says, correctly placed will mature. He says about Mary, he says, she brought forth that germ of life that was the Word of God made manifest in the form of a man and through the death of that just one paid the debt of every one of us that's unjust. And by accepting then His Word brings life, brings Christ back to us because Christ is the Word, the spoken Word. And it will mature if you can receive it. You that's sick, accept it. Believe it. It's got to mature, come forth in its season. It's got to. There's so many other directions we could have gone this morning as far as in this subject. And there's so many, each one of these scriptures that I put up on the screen, and I think you can take take them down now. each one of these scriptures is in themselves a sermon a sermon about perfection and the book of Hebrews is in itself the story of perfection coming from the beginning all the way to where you are and then Apostle Paul in the end of books he says where have you come you have come to a heavenly Jerusalem you have come he's talking to the church now what have you come unto you have come To an innumerable company of angels. Amen. You have come to a heavenly host. You have come to the spirits of just men made perfect. What is on the other side? Spirits of just men who were made perfect in their day. Just the same at that same meeting with God has come to take perfection and apply it in your life. See, it's to take that seed that's laying in you. It's a seed that must come to its perfection. I'll read you one quote and then we'll close. The musicians can come, actually. In end time seed sign. Brother Branham, you know, sometimes you don't know why you share something with somebody. I was sharing the subject with somebody at the beginning of the week. And then a couple days later, I saw him again and he said, you know, I saw what you were talking about in end time seed sign. I thought, well, maybe that's why the Lord had me share it with him, to point me over here. And Brother Bradham says in end time seed sign, he says, when Job seen the com- this coming just one, the one that could stand in the breach between the sinner and God, and bridge the way, that perfect seed, he says. Now, those seeds, he says, corrupt. I see them go to the ground. His sons come to mourn over him, and he perceives it not. He's talking about death. See, he's looking at himself. He's sitting on the ash heap. He's seeing what he's gone through in his life. And the trials that he's endured even till now his health has failed him. And he's sitting there on the ash heap. You know if we were a medical doctor in that day we might look at Job and say Job it's just the stress of all that you're going through that's causing these boils in your body. No it was the devil. And there Job sat on the ash heap and waited. And one said this and one said that another said that. But Job waited. What was he waiting for? he was waiting for a meeting with God he says "It's God that led me all this way now my life is obviously at a corner I need a meeting with God before I can even go on I don't know what's going to happen in my life am I gonna die he discusses death and how that if a man dies he lays there he never raises he just lays there rots away and that's all of it he never does raise up again because he's an imperfect seed but When he found out that there was coming one who would bring back perfection to the Word of God again, that would make a way, would bridge the way, then the prophet, God in the Spirit, and cried out, I know my Redeemer liveth. Amen. And in the last days he will stand on the earth. And though after the skin worms has destroyed this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Hallelujah. As long as he was looking at himself and looking at the age he was living in, all he saw was imperfection. But Brother Brown says, when he saw that perfect one coming. Oh, when that perfect one comes, it changes everything. When that, he says he's seen that perfect one coming. He says, Job being a prophet, the secrets of God is known to the prophets. He spoke the word. And when he spoke the word that God showed him, it become material. For it was a spoken word. And in its season, it happened just exactly that way. And he says, same message. And if the church is sowed with something else besides the word, it can't go to meet him. He hasn't got a freak body with fungus on it. He's got a perfect body. He's the perfect Word. And the church will be sowed and believed in the perfect Word. And the perfect Word and the perfect Word will unite together as one flesh and one body as a husband and a wife is. Amen. What a glorious hour. Job, Brother Bradham, says he looked forward to that coming perfect one. When that which is perfect is come. The Lord shall descend from heaven with a message. A lot of times we think, well, Job looked to Calvary. Well, I think Job looked down to this age. He saw the perfect one coming. Because Paul in that day says, when that which is perfect is come. And here we stand now in an age where the perfect word has been restored to the church. What for? To make the bride the perfect word. Like he is the perfect word. To sow in her the rapture seed that's going to catch us away to ever meet our Lord in the air. Hallelujah. There's coming a rapture. There's coming a meeting in the air. I just felt like at the end of the service we ought to sing that. There's going to be a meeting in the air. In the sweet, sweet by and by. Amen. I think we know that. Do we know it? All right. Let's stand together. Amen. We're going to a place. There's a meeting. If you met with God here. If you haven't met Him here, you need to meet Him here. But we're going to another meeting. There's going to be a meeting in the air. Amen. You have heard of little Moses. The third verse. Put it up on the screen. There the doubters will be missing altogether. All the skeptics will be absent on that day. Not only that, there'll be no grumblers. There'll be no grumblers in the service over there. Saying, oh, woe is me and woe is this. No, there'll be no complaining over there. All, like Israel, all the complainers died in the wilderness. All right. And so I was thinking about this as I was looking forward to the next verse. There was a brother, Brother Samuel Taylor in Ghana. I don't know if he preached it here, but he came to Grand Prairie and preached. There was a time where a lot of suicide bombing was going on and, and, uh, in Israel and different places. And, and he titled his message, Suicide Doubters. He says they want to blow themselves up and they want to take as many as they can with them. I thought, How appropriate. That's the way a doubter is, but there'll be no doubters over there. Listen, you might have a meeting with God, and another meeting with God, and another meeting with God, and I don't know how many meetings it's going to take to get you there, but when you get there, there'll be none of these there. Praise be to God. All the Achim's will be busy far away. Next one. The saints will have his seal upon their forehead. Dressed in raiment, none but ransomed ones can wear. Hallelujah. Are you being clothed in the Word? All who have the wedding garments will be present at that great meeting in the air. Amen. Let's sing it together. There the doubters will be.